This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Break free from the big three. Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Interesting topic today. Joining me from PFF is Brad Spielberger to talk about a new method of draft valuation. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Uh, appreciate you coming here. And and I know it's a time out of a busy season for all of us to, to make time for any podcast this time of year. But I, I saw a couple things from you recently that really looked interesting, piqued my interest. And the first was uh, the... Fitzgerald Spielberger draft methodology, which is a uh, another chart, you know, you could call it similar to the JJ chart in terms of uh, trying to put a value on each spot in a 256 player draft. Uh, and it has some interesting and perhaps somewhat counterintuitive results that we're going to get to in a, in a moment. Um, and also another thing that I would really encourage people to go is to go out and look at 
some of the tweets and an article you wrote recently about uh, age, war, and I'm forgetting the third thing, cap cost of players uh, that you did. It's just excellent. And I, I think these topics actually mold together very well. I wanted to maybe consider doing two shows, but let's talk about the first first, which is the Fitzgerald Spielberger draft methodology. Yeah, well, appreciate the, uh, the background there. Yeah, so um, the, the Fitzgerald Spielberger draft chart was our idea of trying to actually put data towards a chart. Um, we've had some iterations in the past involving games played, Pro Bowl honor, stuff like that, but we wanted to find something that better represented the true value of the contributions that a player was making, you know, a draft pick was making. So what we decided to do was we would follow the four years of that rookie, and then we would take the second contract that, that they signed um, and kind of use that as our gauge for how good they were as a draft pick. So long story short, we would say, okay, the top five wide receivers in the NFL on average make $20 million per year coming into this offseason. If this wide receiver, this, you know, 10th overall pick, signs for $15 million per year on his, on his second deal, then okay, he's 75% of the top five you know, players at the position. So did that for every pick at every position. Um, using those percentages enabled us to compare across positions. Um, yeah, and then essentially those percentages on average you know, for each pick over a number of years, we then converted that into a number scale, just like Jimmy Johnson starting at 3,000 and working down from there. Um, and yeah, and so that's, that's how we created our chart. Okay, so position-specific numbers. So let's talk a couple examples of, of a player that might go through this. A guy is drafted, we'll say number one overall, just to make it easiest, and he, his, he gets no second contract, first of all. He, he gets a, a hard-coded zero in his contribution to the total? Yeah, so he'd be a zero. Yep. Okay. And so uh, there are plenty of zeros in there in first, second, third rounds in particular for, for NFL drafts. There's lots of, lots of players who don't get any second contract. And then there's other players who they might get 0.75, but it's possible to also get 1.25 times the average if you're, the t- if you're a Pat Mahomes. 100%. Right. So Mahomes, okay. yep. Okay. And then you, you sum up those points and then scale that use that as the scale for your your new system on how much each of those individual draft slots over the years is worth which on a position specific basis did you have to do some grouping of them because the 10th pick for example if there's only been one quarterback taken there in the last 25 years or and I don't know how long you're looking at data it makes it more difficult to do that no so what i was saying was the 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 genius oh the genius the beauty of using <laughs> of using percentages is that it, for example let's go back to number 1 overall pick so um, the average there is 98.27% of that top five. So you're almost guaranteed to get a guy who's going to be one of the best guys at the position. Um, but here's the example. You know, Cam Newton was the, obviously the first overall pick in 2011. Um, Andrew Locke, 2012. And then 2013 was Eric Fisher, the left tackle. Mm-hmm. If Eric Fisher signs for, let's say, $15 million per year, and, that makes, and that's 105%, and Cam Newton signed for about 99%, we just take those percentages. So we did, we did not break it down by each position at each draft slot. We were able to not have to do that by, by going by the percentages. Okay. So that gives you like 20, how many data points, how many years of data are you using? So in the beginning, it was, the, it was just five years because we wanted to focus on the rookie wage scale, obviously. So 2011 was the first year of the rookie wage scale. We've now added 2016. And of course, after this offseason, we'll be able to add some more. Um, but yeah, so it's giving you six years of data points. Six years of data points. Okay. So even with, with different positions, you obviously, there's some smoothing necessary at the end of that when you, when you okay, that's, that's, that's great though. And so 
The second contract is the entire basis, though, of, of how you generate these values. Now, this, is, this is, brings up an interesting point because second contracts, I've always maintained, they overpay the players at that point automatically. Is that they, they, it's, a, it's a concession to the union, effectively, to underpay players that are younger and overpay the players who are older. In fact, create more our jobs for them artificially under the vet men's scale, or the vet benefit scale. Um, and, I, and then I looked at, well, first of all, let me let you respond to that because, because there's one other point I want to make with it. Yeah, sure. So I would just say that, you know, that veteran market still applies then to all veteran contracts, right? So I agree with you. And I think across all sports, you tend to see, you know, they, they kind of make up for the rookie deal by giving you a little bit of excess. But but again, you know, someone, someone's excess is going to be larger than others. So even if you think a guy that got paid 15 should have made 13, there was a guy before that got paid 18 that you thought should have made 16. So you're not comparing to rookie contracts. You're just comparing to the veteran market. So it, it kind of takes that into account. I, 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 I want to take it back a minute because I'm not sure that that, that fully explains the situation. Because I'm saying that the players on their first four years of the deal who are not considered as part of this are where they're really earning their money. So the, the player, you're getting the, the, the draft value in those first four years when you're not considering what their contract value was during that time. I understand. Yeah. So, no, you're 100% getting the surplus. Value. And so then we went back and looked at that kind of the surplus value of what they were getting paid on the rookie deal versus what the market then dictates they're actually worth at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so I completely agree with you. The, the value you're getting from a draft pick is that rookie deal. What we're just saying is simply that how do we basically say how good this guy is on those first four years? And we say he's this good based on what he gets paid at the end of the four years. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, the, the actual draft value is that you have a 15 million a year guy that you're paying for four years. <laughs> right, right. They, they, you're, and then you're paying, you know, $7 million a year. So you're saving $8 million a year, essentially, if you want to look yeah. at it that way. Yeah. And, and I, I think that was what I really loved about the other article you wrote is that it really demonstrates just how clearly players are, players are overpaid for in their later years of their career is generally all, all the contracts. You have bad surprises, which happen fairly frequently, unfortunately, with older players. You rarely have a good surprise where their salary, they over justified. I'm not saying it never happens. It's just quite rare. It's definitely rare. I think the, the main example there would be early extensions. And so you're frankly, you're paying before that four-year rookie deal is up. Um, you know, like Daniil Hunter is one I, I use it off, as an example often. Uh, yeah, Vikings edge rusher. You know, they approached him after three seasons. He was a third-round pick, was already one of the best edge rushers. Um, he's now making, he's still making $14.4 million on a per-year basis, um, which is about half of Joey Bosa at this point. You know, his APY or average per year is $27 million, um, but Hunter is a very good player. Yeah, so I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So let's, uh, let, let's go back and let's talk about how, how the chart anyway ends up looking after you apply this kind of a wage scale to it, including the seventh, uh, the seventh round players. So uh, it flattens out, and number 256 would be Mr. Irrelevant in a normal year. The Patriots are missing a pick this year, but uh, is 190 points, right? That's right, yep. Okay, so approximately a little less than 16 of those guys would, make a, would, would be of equivalent value to the number one overall pick. Right, yeah. Okay, so that's, that's one of the counterintuitive results. But I, I, I don't want to bash the thing. I just want, want you to talk to me about it in those terms. Um, uh, let's see. 
I want to talk about this from a Raven spin now because the Fitzgerald Spielberger values were the underlying underpinnings of this other great tweet you had that I want to bring up. Do you happen to have that chart in front of you or, or can get it pretty easily? Yep. Okay. So what they did using their, their values was to uh, come up with the percentage of draft capital that each team had spent on each position. Very unusual if you're a Ravens fan because uh, the, from 2011, and is this through really 2011 to 2016, what players they've spent, or is this 2011 to the present? Well, this would be through 2020 because it was just looking at the number. Right, 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 right. Okay, so the, the data is used to generate the chart values, but the since then, the chart values are considered to be, be accurate for the 2017 to 2020 period which is cool. Okay, so we start at center, and the Ravens spent 1% of their total draft capital at center. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to tee you up on a basis, by, and, and maybe you could talk about it relative to another team who spent a lot. Yeah, yeah. So basically what this did is essentially saying, okay, and we're not just looking at the, the pick number itself or how many picks. We're basically saying we had this scale from 3,000 down to 190, if the Ravens, let's say, you know, there was 10,000 total points they used. Obviously, it's way larger than that. But let's say 10,000 total points. They, they spent one pick for 100, you know, in the seventh round on a center. That would be, you know, 1%. Um, some teams have spent more. You know, the, the Lions spent a first-round pick on Frank Ragnow, who's actually, you know, one of the best centers in the NFL. So that was probably a good pick. Um, but generally, at center, you know, it, it's not considered a premium position. You maybe get one center in the first round, uh, you know, per year. Um, and you also have some, ba- some bad examples there as well. You know, Billy Price for the Bengals barely even plays. Bad one. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that, those are all, you know, six, I think what 6.1% is the highest here for the, for the saints. And that's actually because Cesar Ruiz, uh, last year and Eric McCoy two years before, um, are both considered centers, but obviously one has now shifted over to guard because you can't play two centers at the same time. Um, good question. But, How did you choose position? So for this chart, we would just go by um, what they were labeled at at the time of, of getting drafted. Um, or for prior years, we would just go with uh, using PFF data, what they eventually ended up playing on. Um, that was how I would distinguish between like linebacker and edge rusher. If you know, pro football reference listed a guy as an outside linebacker, at PFF, we just changed that to edge rusher. Um, you know, and, and over the caps, the same thing. We've kinda, we think four, three defensive ends and three, four outside linebackers are Essentially, the, yeah, edge. So um, some cleaning and smoothing there as well. But, you know, the, the Saints example, those guys were both listed as centers. Um, interior offensive line is very fluid. I, I mean, as the Ravens know, as you know, as Ravens fans, like you move those guys around a ton. So, mm-hmm. Okay, so, so uh, I, the, the Ravens, I believe their only draft pick at center during this entire period was Geno Gradkowski. So it's only 1% of their total draft pick. That would have been a fourth-round pick in 2013. Um, Ryan Jensen, the positional question, would have he been listed as a tackle originally? It doesn't matter that much because he's a sixth-round pick. But um, do you happen to know what he so, would have been peg, pegged as? So if I went back, I, he would have been – it's tough. It, 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 was, it was situational here. I, did, I, I cleaned the whole thing. and it was, it was, He was probably listed as a tackle, though, because mm-hmm. um, that's what he was, if it's only 1%, and that's what he was taken as. Um, but it, it, he could also be listed as a center now because P, you know the PFF data would say he's playing center. So okay. yeah, 
All right. So, uh, you know, maybe some questions there. But the, but the, uh, the thing that, that keeps coming up here, uh, darn it, I just lost my point here, was uh, let's go to the next position because I will, I will think of it again. At cornerback, the Ravens have spent 11.1%, a fairly average amount at corner. Although I think Ravens certainly built from the back end, have been always very cornerback conscious, drafted Marlon Humphrey even when it was not a position of need. Yeah, so the Ravens are definitely one of the teams that we like to say at Pro Football Focus, they, they understand that coverage um, is as important, if not more important, than, than pass rush. Um, not necessarily on the field, but also just investing resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Ravens are infamous for, they draft these edge rushers in the, in the middle rounds. They let them, you know, walk for compensatory picks. We obviously saw this offseason that happened twice with Yannick Ngakwe. Um, and Matt Judon. So both those guys, they let him go. They let Sedarius Smith go to the Packers. Mm-hmm. And those guys do become good player or, you know, continue to be good players. But Baltimore has definitely emphasized that they think if we have a really sound secondary, really good corners, lockdown corners, that eventually our pass rush will get home. You know, eventually Wink Martindale will dial up some bizarre exotic pressure with guys coming from all over the place. Um, and, and so they, you know, emphasize putting resources into, uh, you know, the secondary, which we think is very smart. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I love Wink's scheme-based pass rush. I, I write about it every week. And uh, the elements of deception, more important than the numbers. And, and I know it can become very hard probably to grade on that level. But uh, having getting to watch Bowser and getting to watch Judon as, as guys who drop to coverage is, is, is very exciting. The defensive interior, place where the Ravens have been, um, I think, criticized as overemphasizing. I remember my, my question is now. I better ask it now before I forget it again. Is... Your chart measures a player who is actually drafted as opposed to when a team trades draft capital to pick up a player at that position. It's a good question. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. So it's just going into the draft. Also, I just really quick, I pulled up Ryan Jensen's listed as a center. But yeah, so okay. it's just what they, yeah, what they were taking in the draft. It's not, let's say, you know, the Ravens traded their third round pick for Yannick Ngakwe in the middle of this season. We're not taking that into account. We're just looking at, the 256, or you know, like you said, sometimes a little bit less, picks in every year. What was that guy taking you know, in that draft class? Yeah. Okay, great stuff here. So defensive interior, let's move on, because this is a place where a lot of Ravens fans accuse the Ravens of overspending. They say, you don't need to spend on the defensive interior. We don't even need two down run defenders. I think we proved some of that was not right at midseason the last year. But they've actually only spent a very median amount of draft capital on the defensive interior. Yeah, I think it's another spot where they tend to go middle rounds. We saw Justin Matabuki last year, obviously. Um, he started to kind of come on at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Looks like a good young player. Um, yeah, I think, again, it's a spot where interior, uh, interior defenders on the defensive line and edge rushers tend to go higher. They, they tend to be first and second round picks. Um, they are kind of guys that are perceived as both premium positions, but also guys where the kind of the drop off in, in talent and athleticism is, is steeper. Um, you know, teams definitely believe that like there are just innate physical abilities, whether it's stature and, and ability to move at a certain size or stuff like that, um, that, that maybe a first round interior defender can do. And then a fourth rounder is just incapable of where, at, you know, a corner, for example, like we just talked about, they'd say, yeah, you know, this guy's a little bit raw. He needs a little bit more coaching. Um, but there's no, so there's not, there's nothing we can't teach this later round guy 
um, to become as good as a you know an earlier draft pick. Yeah, it's 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 what I call the size and shape pool. Um, for a, an offensive tackle, you got a very limited size and shape pool. There's very few human beings who meet the standard to do it. Defensive tackle, some some similar things. Cornerback, way more fast, athletic guys. Same thing with running back. Um, but but cornerback, it's it becomes then more of a coaching thing in terms of of making them into good players, or even, or even just picking the right hand side of that curve. Let's go on to edge rusher here. 13.1% spent on edge. And Ravens fans know that's a lot of second and third round picks that didn't work out. Um, that's included in that if we want to go back to Correa and Kafusi and players like that. But uh, it's slightly above average for the league. Yeah, it is. They, they do tend to go more volume approach there, um, you know, as opposed to. So maybe they take less early, but they do take more guys. Um, you know, looking through the list, like I said, Zadarius Smith on here as well. Like you said, Correa and Kafusi. Um, Pernell McPhee, of course, you know, also, so a decent amount of volume. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's kind of, I don't know. I, I like the approach. I think that going with kind of a, um, the idea of just keep addressing it until kind of a cream of the crop rises and, and kind of someone emerges from that group, um, has, has worked for them for a long time. So, you know, I, I think it's hard to argue against it. All right. Let's go to, I think we're moving over to guard now, where they spent 7.5% of their capital, a little bit above average. Uh, and again, there's some separation there. Maybe we look at guard and center together and say that's 8.5%. I don't know how that look. It probably looked very average for the league. Yeah, it's probably smart to, to group those. Um, I honestly could have just done interior offensive line when I went through it, but I already had everything sorted. But yeah, so <laughs> again, a position kind of looking through this now where I mean, I think the, the Ravens also have shown that they are, um, they're obviously going to spend money at, at the off, on the offensive line as well. Um, so maybe even if they're not near the top in draft capital, obviously they pounced on Kevin Zettler as soon as he became available. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Double from the Giants, um, which you know, I think was a great signing. But, you know, they took guys like Clutchio Semele, um, mm-hmm. obviously, had, you know, had a bunch of... Um, ben Grubbs. Oh, ben he, was Grubbs. Before the, he was actually before this period, though. So that didn't before the period, okay. <laughs> I see John Urschel on here as I'm scrolling through, Robert yeah. Myers. Um, so, yeah, I think it's another one. Uh, Jermaine Illuminor, obviously, who's now kicked out to play a little bit of tackle as well. But, um, yeah, I think it's, again, a spot where they... I don't know. My approach to interior offensive line, again, would be one where I would just continue taking guys uh, until, you know, a, a good player emerges. Um, you know, it's not an expensive position to pay in free agency. Um, you know, one of the cheaper positions in the whole league, frankly. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it makes sense the, the way they approach that as well. Well, last year, they, they definitely approached it that way with really five guys playing for three spots or maybe even more than that uh, with all the backup centers and backup guards they had. The problem was they had too many solutions to get it sorted out in time. And even with what they thought was a good rookie, they, they, they just could not get it figured out, whether it was at center, where the snaps were going wild from everybody, or, or at uh, either guard spot. But it's an it's a interesting point. I think at halfback or, or you know, running back, is one of the positions where I think people would be surprised to know that the Ravens have drafted, used an average amount of draft capital, because definitely Ravens have never drafted a first-round running back since Jamal Lewis. Um, so, so they've never, never really invested in that. Rice was a two, and Dobbins was a two now last year. 
Right. And so Rice I think was drafted in a, in a wait, so he's not even on this group. Sorry about that. Not included. Yeah. Yeah, I think J.K. Dobbins is obviously pushing this a lot. Um, you know, especially in, in more recent years, we have started to see, um, basically after 2018, um, we kind of started to see the shift where teams have realized, like, you probably shouldn't be taking running backs that high. Um, and so, and like you said, I think the Ravens have kind of, you know, believed in that mantra as well. But obviously, Dobbins was a pretty early pick. Um, for the most part, they do seem to go with, you know, again, they kind of just like, I know I'm like a broken record, but obviously, you know, Gus Edwards, you, you bring in Ingram for a cheap mm-hmm. deal, like eh, mid tier deal, I suppose. But yeah, just again, you know, by committee and, and letting a bunch of guys kind of duke it out for touches. Um, so I do think Dobbins might, you know, take more of a quote unquote workhorse role, um, even with, you know, Gus the bus, obviously getting retained. Right. It's, it's what I say about this is that Jackson really is, is the offense in terms of the run game anyway. So they need stylistic fits to go with him that'll work within Roman scheme. But it's all driven by Jackson. He makes all, all the other players on the field and some would argue the players on defense as well better. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, inside linebacker, 8.6% of their capital and above average amount. Uh, Mosley's obviously one of the big hits in there, but uh, also Patrick Queen now last year. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we got two first rounders right there in, in the span is definitely going to get you near the top, um, you know, that interior linebacker. Another spot where I think um, kind of shifting away and, and yep. even the league as well, you know, it's not always uh, outsiders like us. Even the league, I think, realizes if you can't cover um, as an off ball linebacker, then you're frankly not super valuable in today's NFL. Um, and I think they're recognizing that coverage linebackers aren't necessarily um, you know, super hard to find. I, I mean, the two best free agents this offseason, well, outside of Levante David, um, you know, a guy like Matt Mulatto in Buffalo was a fifth-round pick. Jayon Brown was a fifth-round pick. Like, a lot of these guys that are, what do you want to call a modern linebacker where they excel in coverage, they can take on tight ends, running backs out of the backfield, um, are not necessarily guys that you need to take super early in the draft. Right. I think the, the, the Ravens are one of the teams who, until last year, had, had switched to a much higher percentage of dime play. And I, I would like, I think that's the approach to it because I think it's much cheaper. The Aza Newsome dime for 25 years was the cheapest way to get that great coverage player on third down. He never spent more than a sixth round draft pick on it and uh, had, a, had a very classy set of people that included, you know, people like Corey Harris and Chad Williams and Anthony Levine and, and uh, Chuck Clark eventually, who now is, is taking on a bigger role. But uh, yeah, I, I, I personally think we're going to see fewer total ILB snaps per play across the NFL on a per down basis. I think we'll see more dimes stretching into second and long situations and, and, and more of that. But uh, the Ravens are down to 1.33 inside linebacker snaps per play in 2019 which is very low, uh, but that was with the historic amount for them of, of the amount of dime. Yeah. Do you, do, you see, do you see that with other teams too? Oh, I lost for a second there. Still, still here. There's some cutout, but, uh, but uh, do, do you see a lot of dime play with the other teams as well? Do you, I, I know that I see it on Football Outsiders once in a while, percentages for each team, but I'm wondering at PFF, what are you seeing? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, nickel, nickel is now base, and now dime is essentially nickel. Mm-hmm. Uh, something, basically something like that, or yeah, so more and more defensive backs coming on the field. Um, and you're also seeing guys like, I guess, for example, in this year's draft, a guy like a Jeremiah Wusu koromoa out of Notre Dame, he is a linebacker or was a linebacker in college, but he kind of has that flexibility, kind of like an Isaiah Simmons, where is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? Um, and I think we're going to see more and more of that type of player um, kind of be valued where linebackers basically start looking like, you know, big safeties. 
Right. I mean, I like that versatility in linebacker, but I don't want to pay for it as a right, GM. Right. So, so I, I want to draft a guy who is a specialist coming on third down. And basically, he's your third best coverage safety who's going to almost always be better than your second best coverage line inside linebacker. Right. And he's the guy I want there. All right. Let's move on to quarterback. 3.8% of the draft capital there. Um, I guess that's mostly got to be Lamar because there haven't been too many other quarterback picks other than very low round. Yeah, so that's, that's got to be Lamar, and the reason why, even though he's a first-rounder, obviously quarterbacks go extremely high in the draft, um, whether they should or not. I mean, what, he was the fifth guy in that draft class alone. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so 32 is a great, great you know, value for a, for a good quarterback, you know, MVP quarterback. Um, yeah, so they're, they're pretty low there, um, and, and presumably will be for, for the foreseeable future. Now, you look at Cleveland's number, they're at 10.7% in the division. It's As Baltimore fans, Cleveland hates us so much that we love to make fun of their rotating quarterback situation for the past 20 years. What do, what do you, I mean, in terms of draft capital, how destructive is that to the organization? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because you obviously, if you don't have a good quarterback, then it's tough to get really anything done. And, and that truth is growing more and more true, you know, as time goes on. Obviously, Ravens fans... Um, you know, not to be, be critical of, of Joe Flacco, but he, frankly, in the last decade, he's, you know, kind of one of the lower tier quarterbacks to be able to, you know, go ahead and win a Super Bowl. So, um, and I think as the game develops, it's, it's more and more true, but it is tough for the Browns. I mean, they also, you know, traded up to take Johnny Manziel in the first. So you don't, you don't just, you know, that wouldn't, like you said earlier, that wouldn't be reflected in this chart, but they actually used, you know, a first and a third just to get Johnny Manziel. Um, you know, not just pick 22 as its input in, in, for this chart. So it's been a nightmare for them. I mean, why they took a 28-year-old Brandon Whedon in the first round. That's a real crazy thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could never tell you. Um, and of course, you know, Baker Mayfield at first overall is obviously driving that huge number there now, but it is tough. I, I think it's also people don't realize how much is invested in those people and those players like outside of just football. Like why the Jets were even considering keeping Sam Darnold, even though he's been frankly, a below replacement level player is just because, you know, you invest so much in that person, um, in that face of the franchise, all those things. So it, it definitely can kind of, you know, compound and snowball in negativity for the Browns where you just keep missing at that spot um, with top draft capital. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, moving on to safety, the Ravens have spent about 6% of their draft capital there over the last decade. And Matt Elam, a, a very notorious bust for the Ravens. Uh, a couple other guys, though, the Ravens got in the middle rounds. Not too much draft capital, I would think, have been spent there, and yet it's above the league average. Yeah. Like you said, you know, a couple fourth rounders, fifth rounders, um, you know, Christian Thompson. Uh, I mentioned Terrence Brooks is the, you know, a third rounder, so one of the higher picks there. Um, and then more recently, obviously, Geno Stone last year. So, yeah, I mean, safety is a position where, uh, and the research we did for the, you know, the book we mentioned before for the draft chart, um, safeties you can find in later rounds better than, than almost every other position. Uh, I think interior offensive line was number one in terms of just finding value late, um, and I think safety was second. So, yeah, go ahead. Is there a skill set differential that goes with that? Because I've been of the opinion that finding a top ball hawk, specifically that skill, always requires you to, to jump up and, and use a lot of draft capital to get it. That's probably a fair assumption. Yeah, I would think if you're looking for a true deep third safety, that's a ball hawk that has ball skills, also that can you know make catches and stuff like that, not just pass breakups. Then you're probably looking at earlier draft picks. But if you're just looking for a solid box safety or or just you know frankly a solid free safety, but not a guy who's turning turning the ball over stuff like that, um, you can probably find those guys later. All right. All right. Great. Now, offensive tackle. Interesting position because the Ravens have clearly spent a number one there yet. And they're just at a median level at 9.3% of draft capital spent there. 
Yeah, so another one where, again, teams just like quarterback are going to be spending early and often there. So even with Ronnie Stanley, what, sixth overall, um, obviously mm-hmm. one of the higher you know, tackle picks of the last decade, um, and Orlando Brown in the third. Um, you know, they're still not you know, near the top because I think also, uh, you know, they're all, they've also been fortunate that they've hit on a lot of those picks, you know, Ronnie Stanley and, and of course Brown, you know, even though he's probably on the way out in Baltimore. But, um, you know, other teams are, are kind of continuously addressing that spot. Um, you know, they, they'll take guys, the guy will not turn out and, and they'll address it again. So I think Baltimore also, you know, has been lucky that, you know, the success rate there has been pretty high. Yeah, it's, uh, that is fortunate, especially when you compare it to tight end now, where the Ravens have spent a lot relative to the league at 7.6%. If you think about that, spending 9.3% of your draft capital attack on 7.6% of a tight end, forget the number of positions that are on the field. Just think about the relative importance of those. That just seems like disproportionately low for tackle relative to tight end to me. No, I, strong, I, I agree strongly with you there. I, I mean, again, I guess you know, the pushback would be, while I agree tight end is not one of the more important positions to 31 other teams, I think the Ravens, it, you know, it's very probably, important. <laughs> right, very important to them. So obviously that, that one there is also you know, the, you know, the double dip in, what was it, 2018, where they went Hayden Hurst in the first round and then Mark Andrews in the third. So mm-hmm. um, big time, you know, expenditure there. And then and, and the opposite of quarterback and tackle, um, you know, tight end, you maybe get one or two guys in the first round. Again, more recently, it's, it's been increasing. Obviously, you know, Hawkinson and, and Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson for the Lions at eighth overall and Noah Fant at 20th overall. Um, you know, Kyle Pitts is probably going to be a top, you know, five, six, seven pick this year. So um, there, there are unicorns there, but I think for the most part, and this year included, you know, after, after Kyle Pitts, we might not see another tight end go until the middle of the second round potentially. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, I think that, that, that plays into it as well with the Ravens. You know, it's kind of that Hayden Hurst and Andrews double up is probably a, playing a big role here. Yeah, this is, this is one of the places on Twitter that just it, it makes it very difficult for me. But a lot of people want Kyle Pitts in Baltimore. Kyle, all 32 teams want Kyle Pitts, of course. But where do you, first of all, where do you think he'll go in the draft? And second of all, how do you combat the notion that they should just trade whatever they have to to get him when there's not enough of whatever they have to get him? Well, I would say first and foremost, you know, uh, the, the biggest finding, if you want to call that, of our entire research is that trading up, it's particularly early, is just, it's just bad business. It's, it's frankly, you're more often going to lose that trade than not. And if you are going to trade that high, the only excusable reason to do so is to take a quarterback. Uh, I mean, look, like everyone points to this Julio Jones example, say, oh, the Falcons traded up to number six and got Julio Jones. That's great. The next year, the Jaguars traded number five and got Justin Blackman. The Uh next year, the next year, the Bills traded number four and got Sammy Watkins. And the next year, the Rams traded number eight and got Tavon Austin. So Mm -hmm. there's your example right there where 25% of the time it works, nearly 75% it, it flops hard. So um no the ravens are, are you know they're not in that kind of business they tend to trade down more than up they're actually kind of in the middle they, they do a little bit of both um but no kyle pitts is not within reach for baltimore i'm sorry i'm sorry to break it to, to the ravens fans <laughs> um where he ends up it's t- it's interesting i i frankly am kind of confused why you know i get the joe burrow and, J- and jamar chase connection from lsu um but frankly, I, I do recognize they, if they're not going to go tackle, you want to add another weapon. I don't see why they wouldn't go Kyle Pitts. They have basically nothing at tight end, um, you know, and they have T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd at wide receiver. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he goes there. Um, you know, I think Miami could also take him. Um, I don't think the tra- I don't know. Long story short, I think he'll go in the top six picks, whether Atlanta takes him at four or whether maybe a team moves up for him. Uh, we'll right. see. Um, but I think he'll be gone by, by, the, by the Lions pick at seven. 
Yeah, there'll be a lot of pressure for for that pick to be traded. So there'll be a lot of lot of value that uh, a team like the Bengals, but probably who has their quarterback, might not be willing to pass off. Uh, wide receiver. A lot of Ravens fans just talk about drafting wide receivers. Sometimes you make a fake mock draft. It's all wide receivers. Fourteen point two percent of their draft capital, actually very high relative to the rest of the league in the top ten. Anyway, uh, has been sent at wide receiver in the last decade. So this is funny because when I posted this on Twitter, one of the more common you know responses I saw, you know, kind of scrolling through the the, the quote tweets or the comments, whatever, was basically like. Look, Ravens fans from other Ravens fans, like we do, we do spend at wide receiver, we do draft wide receivers. Um, I mean, obviously Marquise Brown, a recent first round pick. Um, you know, they, they've spent a lot of third and fourth round picks over the, over the decade. They they do, they try. Um, they've obviously haven't had the most success. Um, you know, it's a tough position to, to draft. I mean, a lot of teams. Look at the Eagles have also spent a lot of draft capital there and just consistently do not take the right guy. Um, it, it's a tough spot to get right uh, for whatever reason. Um, but yes, I know. I, I've seen the stuff you're mentioning, and, and I, I get Ravens fans, you know, they, they tried in free agency as well. They obviously were in the mix on, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster and, and T.Y. Hilton and a couple other guys. Um, I think maybe even Kenny Galladay, they maybe threw a, a, you know, an offer out there. So they know it's a need. I, I still don't think they're going to force it. Um, and I don't think they should. You know, I think they, they could improve there, but it's not as dire as I think folks are making it out to be. Right. I mean, it, and it, the Sammy Watkins deal is a, a very mild stick your toe in the water in terms of risk. It's a one year deal, which I love, first of all. And it's, you know, it's five, six million, depending on incentives. It's not 15 million a year for four years kind of thing that you could end up paying for some receivers that uh, it, it just it, you're betting the franchise. You are literally betting the franchise. I don't know how you feel. Who are you a fan of, by the way, Brad? Uh, I'm born and raised in Chicago. So I'm a Bears fan. Okay. Bears fan. Okay. And you worked for the Vikings at one point, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Intern with the Vikings oh, for a bit. Utter traitor. <laughs> Listen to this. Okay. So anyway, as, as a Bears fan and, and uh, you know, with their predicament or not without their predicament, would you be more happy if the Bears were a, let's take our shot, get into the, get into the tournament as often as possible and see if we can make a run? Or are you more like, let's stack up our capital when we can to make a push when we think we have a talented roster together? It's a great question, and I think it's probably funny because Ravens fans and Bears fans are probably very different, or maybe I'm just kind of weird. I would rather be a playoff contender every year that where maybe you get lucky and reach you know the ultimate show. I think sign that is, me up for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I mean look at the Ravens. I I'm not saying this because I'm on your show, and I think the Ravens are the best run organization in football, if not top three, top five. Um, and I think that they the only way you sustain success is kind of running things like that. If you push all your chips to the center of the table and try to quote-unquote attack a window and all that, it rarely works out, first of all. And second of all, as you said, then you're hamstrung for years on the line. You're, kinda, you're, you're hemorrhaging your franchise. You're taking a risk where then you're w- winning four games a year for a couple, couple seasons like my lowly Bears. So, yeah. yeah, I would take the high floor um, 10 times out of 10. 10 times out of 10. Beat it. I grew up as an Oriole fan. That's what we lived with, was, was not winning the big prize for a long time, but, but uh, always being in contention every year. Uh, really appreciate this, uh, Brad. Excellent stuff. I want to direct people to your stuff online, make sure they have a chance to read. In particular, the, that great article that I referenced that we didn't really get a chance to talk about too much, but uh, people have got to read that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad, and I'm obviously posting content on PFF.com. Uh, the article you mentioned uh, came out today was about kind of looking at every roster and breaking it down by age and then saying, okay, how much are they paying each age cohort? And then how much, you know, war wins above replacement are they getting from those players? 
Um, so yeah, I appreciate the shout out. It, it's on my Twitter account. Um, if you, if you go there, you'll, you'll see it uh, linked there and the Ravens are, are pretty young and healthy at the moment. So, you know, de- definitely trending in a positive direction. Yeah, it's, uh, that was one of the exciting things to see about it. Other than the age 22, we had a negative war value, which I guess is all Patrick Queen. Probably, yep. <laughs> okay. All right. Very good. Uh, really appreciate you coming on the show, Brad. Uh, other folks out there, look for the draft content out there on filmstudybaltimore.com. We've got all of the individual positional shows. This great show from Brad in the middle, breaking it up. Uh, and uh, take a look at that other content as well. Brad, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.